All right, welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Mike Russo, Anthony LaPanta, coming to you live from Tuttles. Uh, thanks for everybody for coming on out. Appreciate it. A lot of friends here as well. Um, our next live podcast is March 16th at Split Rocks. March 16th at Split Rocks. It'll be Anthony and a very special co-host that's so secretive the co-host doesn't know it yet. And you probably don't know who the co-host is yet, Anthony. It's possible. I know that the podcast's on the 16th at Split Rocks. <laughs> uh, it was but, mentioned at dinner tonight before I left my house that, to remind me that I was in charge of getting a guest. We'll, we will have a co-host. Yep. So uh, that'll be March 16th at, uh, at Split Rocks, and I guarantee it'll be an awesome co-host that will uh, probably be refreshing. Good to all storytelling, I'm sure. Yeah, it'll be refreshing to the podcast listeners, too, to get a different voice uh, on here. Um, any other housekeeping items we have to do? March 16th, Split Rocks. Nice glasses, Brandon. You look so intellectual today. Um, all right. So uh, trade deadline has come and gone. The Wild have points in nine straight games going into Tuesday night's game against the Calgary Flames. Um, Bill Guerin said he was going to be active. He certainly was. We didn't know how active he was going to be just because it felt like a lot of the guys were off the board. And then what does he do? He brings back Marcus Johansson, somebody that he uh, and Dean Evison have a lot of respect for from his previous stint here. And also when Dean coached him with the Washington Capitals, he brings in an injured Gustav Nyquist, but somebody that they're hoping will make an impact in the playoffs. And then on trade deadline day, um, not only does he acquire um, uh, Oscar Sundquist, which to me came out of the blue, uh, but that came after Jordan Greenway was traded. Right at the buzzer, he trades for, uh, for John Klingberg. And that one was a fascinating one because they were negotiating the last hour. I think that it, there came a point where uh, Pat Verbeek's like, you need to up the offer. And Bill Garrett said, this is the final offer. And Pat Verbeek said, we're keeping him. And next thing you know, three minutes to go before the deadline, Pat Verbeek calls, uh, off, asked for uh, Nesterenko the rights for him to be in the deal. And, and, and Billy made the deal that video of his fake running to the phone call that was actually that video uh what what's the biggest move that jumped out of you or the biggest surprise because they were to me all kind of surprises well a little bit the i didn't see johansson coming but it made a lot of sense it's a low risk potentially high reward deal and johansson brings skating ability and speed and they've been looking all year for the right fit for somebody to play next to matt boldy and he looks like the type of guy that could be able to be the guy who drives that line, pushes the speed on that line a little bit. The Greenway trade was was surprising only in that yeah, you were on a text chain with me that morning with a few other of our hockey friends, and after the Johansson trade had been made and the Nyquist trade had been made, and they said, is this it for the Wild? And I had said on there that I said, unless somebody comes with an offer they can't refuse for Jordan Greenway, I can't imagine that they're that there's much left to be done. Right. And then within a couple of hours, we find out about the trade and a two and a five for Jordan Greenway was just too good to pass up. And so then that trade was made simultaneously with the Sunquist trade. They couldn't pull the trigger on the Greenway trade until they knew that they had the replacement part deal already done. So that trade call, they, those negotiations start to happen for Sunquist. And as soon as they find out that deal can be done, then they pull the trigger on the Greenway trade. So that one was surprising in that it just had a feel to me like it was probably going to wait until the summer. And when you start to look at what all the other players that were traded were pulling in for Greenway to land a, a two and a five, I thought was an incredible return for Minnesota and just too good to pass up. So, I thought so that one was surprising. Yep. Yeah, the Greenway trade, I agree with you. I think that uh, they had some other offers from teams like San Jose that weren't nearly as good, and I thought they were going to have to give them away. Um, you know, I do think that a lot of, you know, Buffalo and San Jose are the two teams that we had been writing all along would likely have the most interest in Jordan Greenway because of his past history with both Don Granado and David Quinn. But I thought with the year that he was having that people would say to, that would do the buy low thing the way that, right. that frankly, Bill Guerin got John Klingberg. Right. Who would think that to John a, Klingberg would get go a for a two and a five in a trade yeah. for? And I, you know, that I've I've been a Jordan Greenway fan, and I think his game the last couple of weeks had been better. But bottom line is, the guy had two goals this season, and one was an empty netter. And you got a two and a five for him. Yeah, I think that's just an incredible return. It was a deal they had to make. Oscar Sundquist, I, I don't think is going to come in here and 
be contending for a Conn Smythe trophy or anything, but I think he can he can bring a lot of the same things that Greenway brought to the table. He brings some physicality, he brings some grit, he's had some playoff success, and frankly has been able to score more than Greenway has. So it, they were able to basically replace Greenway with Sunquist and land a couple of picks in the process. I just I think it was a deal that it that one caught me off guard, but it was a deal that was yeah. too good to be passed up. The, the, the move that I expected that day was the addition of some sort of defenseman, and that happened that morning when I started to get when that the Wild were one calling around on defensemen and two had options for Alex Goligoski. And what that told me is one they were willing to either replace Goligoski in the lineup or tell Goligoski, look, we're gonna get another defenseman. And now remember when you were seventh defenseman, you might be eighth or vice versa with him and Addison. Frankly, Addison might be the eighth right now. But it was very obvious that they were doing that. Um, I wonder if they had interest in Carson Susie, but Susie, look, Seattle's in it. They had no interest in moving him. And then you start looking at other names, and I never thought that they would, one, go after John Klingberg, or two, that that um, they could get him as cheaply. If I thought that John Klingberg would go for a fifth, I would say it's absolutely worth the flyer. Well, it's, for sure it's worth the shot. It, it surprised me that that was the type of defenseman yeah. that they were. I thought they might be looking kind of like last year when they added Jake Middleton to add right. a little bit of a, a bigger body defenseman to play on the third set, but the... So the the type of player they got in Klingberg was was a little surprising, but it was such a a low cost move that really, when you look at all the moves that Billy made, we had an, I had an interesting chat with him both on the air and before we went on the air over the last couple of days, and the way they were able to manipulate their extra cap space to add assets and then use those assets to bring in players, the net in all these trades, if you throw away like the Andre Schuster, who was a non-factor, and Nestorenko, who it sounded like was unlikely to be signed anyway. And the net for Minnesota was four players for Jordan Greenway, and they get a two and a four and give away a three. Yeah. Because all the other picks canceled each other out in all these trades. Very reasonable prices. Yeah, you you basically got better. You yeah. you moved up around in the draft at the very least, and you got four players for one. And Klingberg's interesting, though. I I I didn't really like his game much the other night, but I I think he will give. I think you have to give him a couple more games to. He was coming out of a terrible situation in Anaheim, and but this guy is a minus seventy one over the last three years for a reason, and I thought his, he looked a little. He made a couple strange choices for when to jump in plays, threw some pucks into teammates' skates and stuff the other night, but he hadn't practiced with the team yet, so. Uh, give him the benefit of the doubt there, because when he was when he was right, this was one of the premier offensive defensemen in the NHL, and not just on the power play at even strength. And that was where I think Minnesota was looking for a boost. Was we need a guy that can help drive some five on five scoring? And let's not forget that in Anaheim, he's playing top pair, so you're he's going up against some of the best every night. Here he's going to be on the third set. That he's going to be sheltered a bit from that and that might help resolve some of the defensive liabilities in his game but I also think now you surround him with some other guys who play with the kind of structure with the kind of forward support defensively that the Wild have been playing and I think we'll see a guy that that's going to be much better here than he was in Anaheim. Yeah some of the mistakes that he seemed to make on the power play the other day was just a guy that didn't know where teammates were going to be or, or systematic type stuff hopefully that that does uh, fix itself um, because he used to be just and not long ago a really really good player as you mentioned Anthony and um, you know even in the locker room today like I just I went up to him like I honestly can't believe that you're sitting in this locker room I mean you know you just for years see him in Dallas scoring remember the one year he had, didn't he have like two overtime winners remember the it was like back to back games where those Dallas Stars like uh, he was on the ice time. for both of them yeah. I don't know that he had both of them um, but it was they. It was they would win in the first shift of overtime yeah, against, against Minnesota every time. It's every time, and it was always him driving the play up the ice. Right. Uh, so um, he can it, still skate, yeah. and he moves the puck. I I think this was just yeah. to give up a fifth round pick and a couple assets that really weren't worth even the assets. It's worth it. Yeah, and uh, and and he's a tremendous guy. What um, what does this spell for Kalen Addison? Because it is. I mean, you can't now be clearer. I don't care all the excuses they they use. You could not be clearer that they have l- zero confidence in him. I mean, they've essentially made him the eighth D. Um, I so short term, what's it say? I think we both know what it says. 
long term, what's it say? Well, Does I don't mean know that, that his career is about to end. You, here? I'd still say that he's he's their seventh D right now. He's out. Goligoski's in because Brodine's out. Yeah. So Goligoski's a penalty killer. Goligoski's playing that second pair defensive role. Once Brodine's back, I think you'd see Addison in the lineup again before you'd see Goligoski, depending on who was out. Right. But Addison, Klingberg might, they might miss. We don't know for sure. Right. He might all of a sudden just, you might say, hey, you know what? Our power plays better with Addison. Wouldn't shock me if we saw some 11 and 7 stuff again as you move forward down the stretch, where maybe it's a power play specialist as that extra D man. Depends on how long Duhame's out. He had some other variables there, but but I we've t- we've had the discussion about Kalen Addison, and while I think he brought some value to the power play, I know you had a, a more inflated opinion of what he brought to the power play. I just think his 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 game defensively, they've challenged him. They've they've tried to work with him on video stuff, on X's and O's, on all that kind of stuff. They've tried to work with him on compete level, battle level pride in the defensive part of the game and you know just it, it hasn't been good enough it doesn't mean that he's not going to be a part of this team's future or some team's future and maybe someday be a reliable defenseman but I just think right now he it's hard to trust a guy who's a minus 18 yeah and on a team full of guys that are pluses yeah and you know um I, I would say that it's funny because, like, he just he, he. It seems like he makes the same mistakes over and over. Like the one I'm thinking about is, you know, like one of the final straws that happened on one of those games before he came out of the lineup was a pinch that led to a uh, a breakaway, and he got scratched and then he came back. And remember the game uh, the other night, uh, one of the last home games where he actually drew the five on three that Kaprizov scored a big goal. But that penalty happens. Because yet again, he took a bad pinch and had to recover. And if he doesn't get high stick, that's a breakaway. And those are the type of things that it just seems like he's not correcting. And he's got to if he's going to want to perform in this league. I just think there was, I, and I'm, this is just a guess on my part, but I don't think the way he handled the last scratch helped him either. When asked about it, instead of handling it like, not always apples to apples, but when Ryan Hartman got scratched, And he walked in, he said, nobody needed to explain anything to me. I've taken too many stupid penalties. I haven't been good enough. I would have scratched me. And even if you didn't believe that, just say that, and you're out, you're in the press box, the next night you're back in the game, and it's over. But he made a couple comments that were, well, they said that they think I was playing scared, and I'm not scared. And instead of just taking ownership and saying, I haven't been good enough, and now you end the conversation, and you make sure that the coach and the GM know that you got the message yeah. as to why you're out of the lineup instead of just making comments like that that make them, if I'm reading that, and I'd say, well, maybe this kid still doesn't get it if this is what he's saying and what he's thinking. So I, I, nobody told me that. I didn't, Dean or Billy didn't say, hey, this bugged me. I'm just saying. Well, I heard I'm, it did. I'm guessing yeah. that they yeah. probably I, didn't like yeah. the way he handled that. Yeah, play. I've heard it did. I mean, I, I know that Dean Reed's likes to pride himself on reading nothing, but I heard that that did get back to him. And, um, and, and you know, similarly, you know, I think Jordan Greenway spelled his exit when he talked to the media the other day. Our damn media just screws things up. I almost dropped an F-bomb. Um, just apps. See, Father, Father Jingle learning. Yep. I have n- yep. don't have to go to confession today. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, he's got the. Tr- trust me, I'm. I'm normally don't do the f bombs, but my friend Mike over here, gutter mouth. Um. So, uh, you know, but it's because you tried to put Sprite in a yeah. gin and tonic. Yeah. So, so the like when he said the other day, like if I'm traded, you know, like who cares if. Like whatever, yeah, but and stay great. The only thing I would say about that one, and I, I did, I overheard it, and I think what he was trying to say is, I don't have any control over it, right. so I'm not worrying about it. He just misworked. But but Didn't the way that came out properly, right? Epitomizes his attitude on a lot of things. Yeah, and it does. Except that I think he was. It's kind of like last year when Dean said it's an easy decision, which yeah. well, he didn't mean it was easy. He meant that there wasn't a wrong decision, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of what Jordan was saying. I think he was just saying. I can't worry about it. I can't control it. But how he came across was I couldn't care any less if I get traded. Yeah. And uh, he got traded. 
Um, but he's going to go into a good situation. Um, look, Jordan is a, a, a good player, a good kid. He's just got to get his act together. And sometimes it happens on your second stop. And um, I don't think that he was ever really put in the greatest position here in Minnesota. They rushed him to the NHL. He wasn't the greatest college player by any stretch of imagination. They just threw him right in the lineup. They sent him down to the minors once, um, had a couple good games, brought him back up, sent him down to the playoffs with Cunning and Donato. The only one that showed up was Cunning. The other guys were not really thrilled to be there. Um, and, and it just never seemed to – it just seemed like they fast-tracked a guy that had no right getting fast-tracked. And I think it, I think it hurt yeah, his development. Yeah, I think it hurt him, but I don't think it's fair to say that he was never given an opportunity here. He was – they gave uh, yeah. him a pretty good shot. No, no, you know what I mean. Like, I, I think that you're given – like, to me, if he's put in the Iowa for a while, play 50, 60, 100 games down yeah. there, I think he's a better player. But they took a college kid and just put him right in the lineup, um, barely ever played him on the power play. It took him a while to put him on special teams – or on PK. And I just think that they, for some reason um, – just never allowed him to go down there. And yeah, get, never allowed him to mature. That that part's true, but I think they last year he looked like a different player, and Billy had challenged him during training camp to to grow up, and it took a little while. But when he was embracing the role that he was a part of that Erickson Eck Greenway Felino line that was that was frankly the reason why Minnesota was a relevant team last year. He just, his presence was different. The way he walked in the room, the way he carried himself around the team, on the plane, in the hotel, in the locker room, on the bench, on the ice, it was just different. And I really thought he had turned a corner. And I expected that we would see the same type of player this year. And we just did from the start. And I think there was a little pressure on him, perhaps. The injury didn't help early in the season where he was, it felt like he was playing catch up all year. And I think the stats bothered him that he wasn't on the score sheet after he had had a good second half last year. And then it just, the immaturity started to show up where I just don't think he dealt with that very well. And I don't think he dealt with the, the trade rumors very well. It, it seemed to bother him and affect the way he was living. And he just, he looked like a lost soul around the team. He, he was isolated a bit from teammates and I think a fresh start is what's needed. And, we had a little insight into this. I don't remember if you were there, but uh, Kevin Gorg and I were talking to Don Granado when we were in Buffalo. I was, and, yeah. And Don, this was away from the media scrum. Yeah. And it, one of the first things he asked about was Jordan Greenway. And he just said, God, I've always liked that kid. He said, I'm just I'm surprised he's struggling like this. And he was asking us, like, what's going on with him? Is he okay off the ice? And, and so that kind of right away told me this is a guy who it wouldn't surprise me if when, whenever that deal happened, and I thought it would probably be after the season rather than at the trade deadline, that Buffalo was going to be one of the teams that would come knocking. Yeah, and when I was in Arizona with Buffalo in December, I started to hear them the same stuff as well. And then again, when we were in Buffalo soon thereafter, um, and and it makes all the sense in the world. And if anybody can get him going and and sit him down and get him happy, I think it's Don Granado. He's going to put him in a real good situation. Um, you know, Johansson is an interesting one. We we talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the show. Um, but you know, in hindsight, um, I think that they had, you know, I've been saying all along that on this podcast that I felt that they, that as many as, as much as the rumors were out there about James Van Riemsdyk, I didn't buy it. Every indication I was getting from inside the organization is that their interest was very, very, um, minuscule. But then I started to wonder that once they lost out on guys like Dadanoff and Gorianov, would they go and circle back on them because they had to do something to help, um, offensively here. But I think it was extremely clear, one, that James Van Riemsdyk was traded, that his his value is rock bottom right now. People just do not uh, trust his pace. His Did you read that article that I think it was The Athletic wrote that wasn't very complimentary of Chuck, Chuck Fletcher? Fletcher. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second because that's yeah. actually one of my top topics here, not about the Wild. Um, but but you have a list of topics? Well, actually, I asked for questions for the rare time today and wrote down some topics. Decided to come in. Uh, this is the extent of my prep. Plus, I had to remember who the heck they traded for because there were so many. But with JoJo... Well, and you were on vacation. Yeah. You were with us at the uh, trade deadline. I wasn't on vacation. I was embedded with a team. Right. Um, so, and hopefully everybody read that story. Dinner, by the Carolina way, Hurricane. in Calgary with a couple fans that are avid listeners to the show. Oh, yeah? That uh, had met... I had some high school buddies that were on the trip the last time we went to Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. 
And after we had, I had gone to do the game, they had stayed in Calgary that night. And then you were on that trip, weren't you? And I remember they, they came and man, maybe you weren't on that trip either. You're probably vacationing. I didn't go to Calgary this year. Okay. So anyway, my buddies met this guy and he said, they met him. He's wearing a wild Jersey. They, Hey, you're a wild fan. And you know, LaPanta. Yeah. And they said, that's actually who we're here with. And he said, Oh, I love listening to the podcast and I'd love to, I'd love to meet him and bring him to this steak place. So I through that contact went and had a steak dinner with he and his wife who are he and his girlfriend who are big listeners to the show. They, they had some advice for you that I'll share with you later about some insights into the team. So we can oh, yeah? add that to your notes later. I, th- I think they uh, reached out to me actually on Instagram and sent me a picture with you of them. Um, so we had a 40 ounce Tomahawk ribeye that was phenomenal. So a lot of ounces. Good. Um, yeah. It is a lot of ounces. Yeah, that's a lot of ounces. So anyway, so, I I didn't mean to interrupt your your train of thought with it, but the, the you being away from the team while all this was happening was kind of interesting. It changed the dynamic around the around it a little bit, just because it's. I knew that, I knew you'd be paying attention and be tuned into it from wherever you were. But yeah, I had uh, I definitely had some critiques of your show the last two games. Um. So uh. Anyway, um. I think the shows were were adequate yeah they were adequate adequate is not a good word by the way don't you think well, that adequate is the least complimentary like well we've been talking about this there. actually because we we give ourselves yeah. we i think it's better than acceptable yeah we like like i i've told this story before probably on this podcast because i always repeat myself but years and years and years ago i was doing a sidebar at a uh, miami heat game and ira winderman was the uh, I shouldn't drop this because you might take this as like I took it the wrong way, but this is one reason why I hate this word. Um, I did this. I was really young, and I did a Mitch Richmond sidebar for him at this uh, Heat game. And as I was leaving the press room at Miami Arena, I said to Ira, "I said, hey, I filed my story. I said, did you get a chance to read it?" And he goes, "Yeah, I read it." And I go, "What do you think?" And he goes, "It was adequate." And I walked out, and it was like a gut punch to the heart. You know, it was like just like. Just hit me. I'm well, like, it's better than I'm like said at it first, was... I was thinking, wow, all right, that's good. And then I'm like, wait a minute, adequate is not a compliment. It was better than if you said inadequate. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, uh, but there's it's just cer- there's certain words that you just remember, and I remember like adequate. That is that probably means that he didn't exactly love it. It's like also I had an editor once that, that called my writing pedestrian, and and again, he I think he thought it was like a compliment. I'm like, I had a good. I don't dictionary. think he thought that was a compliment. Yeah, I like. Like my, I went and Googled, or not Googled at the time, went to the dictionary. I'm like, let me just make sure pedestrian means what I think it means. Oh, yeah, it does. Uh, so anyway. Um, we missed a good trip. We had a, we had a good off yeah. night in Vancouver, which is always one of my favorite cities. Two of the best broadcast positions. Where'd you eat in Vancouver? Vancouver? Eh, we didn't have a fancy. I went down to Carderos, yeah. which, you know, we're. Yeah, I like that. I like uh, that place a lot. Yeah. Stopped there, and then uh, I met Wes Walls there. We just we ate dinner at the Cactus Club, which is nothing fancy, but it was good. It was adequate. Yeah. And, and that, but, we, but we had a... Is it the Applebee's of... Uh... No, that's Earl's. Yeah, that was Canadian Earl. Applebee's. No, we had... It was good, but and then had the great dinner in Calgary. And those are just... They're two of my favorite cities to visit. And boy, is that Calgary team a mess. Oh, Holy my God. Mackerel. There it are, is. There they, they are. are. They, um, are, they are the best team that can't win in the league this year. Yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, go back just really on, on JoJo. The reason why it makes sense is his, he's, he is smart as heck. He's very fast and he's very tall. And I think, I mean, you saw the other night, his offensive instincts just seem to spur Boldy. And he's got speed and he's, he's an effortless skater, which is great. I asked Billy one of the nights that we were on the road and I said, you know, the, there could be some similarities and I'm not, Believe me, I'm not trying to make this an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but it's at least a fruit-to-apples comparison. The, the way Kirill Kaprizov energized Matt Zuccarello's game, what I asked him is, could this be the same kind of a fit with Boldy and Johansson? A veteran guy, a skilled offensive player. Zuccarello's been a better player scoring-wise than Johansson throughout his whole career, and Kaprizov is exponentially more skilled than Matt Boldy. But a, on a maybe a little bit like a tier two, say same kind of impact, because remember when Zuccarello first got here, there was question about was his game still at that pace, and yep. it didn't take very long. And all of a sudden, he was like, "I've never had more fun playing hockey." And you could tell that 
Kaprizov's youthful energy injected life into Zuccarello's game. And I asked Billy if he thought Boldy could do the same thing into Johansson's game. And said that that's absolutely what we were hoping was to put a veteran guy that sees the ice, sees the game, a creative offensive player, and now somebody that can maybe drive the speed on push the pace of Boldy's line a little bit. And they've been really good in the couple games they've played together. I thought they were really good in Vancouver, maybe not quite as good in Calgary, but yet they found the score sheet in Calgary. So it's all year what Minnesota's been desperate to find is somehow some way to get scoring from that line, and maybe Johansson can be it. I like the fact they're playing with Erickson Eck, too. That's a, the, the Goudreau, Felino, and, and now either Sunquist or Duhame when he comes back. Maybe that line becomes your grief line from a year ago, and with Erickson Eck playing with Boldy and Johansson, you might have a second line that can score. This has got to be the first uh, trade deadline in NHL history that a team acquired four Swedish players, right? Uh, I mean, that's, well, I can't imagine yeah. there'd be more. Um, seven Swedes now on the on the team. It was funny listening to the back and forth with Sun Sunny t- Sun Sunquist today. Sunny, I called him Sunny because Klingberg kept on calling him Sunny. Sunquist today and uh, Klingberg, and uh, I guess so when when they were seventeen years old, uh, Klingberg used to drive. Sunquist after practice back to school because he didn't have his driver's license. So I went over to Klingberg to ask about this. He goes, well, I, I don't remember that because I don't think he ever went to school. Have you ever talked to him? And he basically like, not exactly the brightest tool in the shits. Then he yells across the room like, Sonny, when did I bring you to school? He goes, well, you used to drop me off. I didn't say that I actually went into the school. So it was kind of funny. It reminded me of Marco Rossi. He always kind of skipped in school uh, during, uh, I don't know if everybody read my story last summer where essentially for like five months Rossi would get dropped off at school by his parents and then walk to the coffee shop and spend all day <laughs> just just reading the newspaper and stuff. So uh, pretty fun. We have a microphone up here. If you have a question, uh, feel free to come on up. Um, except for you, Mike. Um, I, don't, I don't want any... When I used to be on 1500, all of a sudden I get this call. I'm like, all right, Mike from Robbinsdale, you're on the air. And he goes, yeah, um, there's nothing cooler than a goal from Skula. Why doesn't he get more playing time? And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like right away knew that who was calling. Um, so you can't come up, but there is a mic there, and somebody is up. Let's go. Moe's is a great spot. Moe's at, at it's inside Fogarty Arena up in Blaine. Terrific menu, and I know that they've expanded their pizza menu recently. It's a great place to watch a game. Go check it out. Terrific menu. They've got great sandwiches, great burgers, and check out their flatbread pizzas. They're outstanding. You won't be disappointed. The team at Aquarius knows your furnace has been working hard and knows warm weather is just around the corner. Believe it, I swear, it is around the corner. If you are having any concerns with your furnace or AC, Aquarius is offering $98 off any furnace or AC repair. At Aquarius, you'll get amazing professional service with no surprise upfront pricing. Their professional heating and cooling technicians are experts at troubleshooting and repairing any type of furnace or AC-related issue. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you. Royal Credit Union's smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Make the switch to a Royal checking account and you'll also get real-time transaction alerts, free mobile check deposits, and surcharge-free access to over 40,000 ATMs across the U.S. Enjoy financial freedom with no minimum balance and no monthly fees when you switch to Royal's smart checking account. Learn more and open your Royal Credit Union smart checking account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. All right. All right. I don't have a question here, but I know you guys agree with me. I think there are only three to four players that are better than Kirill in this league. Uh, McDavid, McKinnon, Matthews, and maybe Kill McCarr. That kid plays like Sidney Crosby. He is, he's, gonna, he's the only chance, I think, for a cup here. And I'm just like, I just need everybody to chill out online because I started seeing like, oh, he's going to leave, all this and that. Like, the, the, guy, the guy, he doesn't even know he's a superstar, as like Wes Wall said on the broadcast one day. And I totally think he's going to re-sign. Like, the guy is just a, yeah. he's a total, total beauty, you know? Like, we got to give him his props all the time. You know, he deserves it. And, yeah, that's the future captain, Captain Kirill. Captain Kirill, I, uh, we, hit, we did a live room today. I wonder today who too. fuels those rumors about the fact that he might not sign. Not me. 
I like you think think I'm already fueling rumors from three years from now, but it's funny. This is what Joe. If the Wild don't get another guy here, they're going to be losing Caprice. I have never said that. Yeah. Um, I said they've got to keep him happy, and I'm going to be interested in what happens with Zuccarello in a year because that's one thing that I think will keep him happy. But to your point, it is. Uh, we were talking about this on the live room today too, Joe and me. It's 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 just it's crazy that people are already like, you think he's gonna? What do you think he's gonna get in twenty twenty six? Uh, is he going to resign all this stuff? Like, let, let's all just enjoy him right now because he is a special player. Um, and what was so uplifting about that game against Calgary the other day is that's the worst game I think I've ever seen Kirill play in the National Hockey League. I mean, he was a total no-show analytically. But by the way, there are times where the eye test and the analytics go together. All game, I was like, this is unbelievable watching Kirill. And analytically, it was his worst game in the National Hockey League. I think it. I'd be curious though, and it, you start to really think about comparing him to the other superstars in the league. I don't know how many are above him right now, because of the fact that even on a night like that where he, yeah, he wasn't great, but you know, let's keep in mind they're facing a Calgary club that is one of the stingiest defensive teams in the NHL. Not in terms of goals allowed, because this year they've just been the most snake bitten team on the planet, including that night the goal hits the. The Felino goal that hits the back edge of the net and pops back out front and lands on Felino's stick in midair. It's just it's crazy the goals they've allowed. But they outshoot their opponents by a wider margin yeah. than anybody in the league. Yeah. And over the last like 12 games, they were a plus 140 in shots on goal. And yet they were three, they only won three of the 12. And it, so that had a lot to do with Kirill Kaprizov looking invisible. It's because that's the way Calgary plays. They're that's a tough club. I just think the way he competes every night and the way he competes along the wall, the way he competes in his own zone, that separates him from a lot of these other superstars. And you see it sometimes from those guys. You see it every shift, every night from Kirill Kaprizov, and that's different. That's Polito's line that we've talked about where he said he's got first-line skill and fourth-line work ethic is the, the best way to describe the guy. And it, his compete level is... Absolutely incredible. Father? So one question, not related to the Wild specifically, um, but what, what traction, what validity is there to now about Houston and Atlanta that I'm starting to see as far as expansion even? What do they, I mean, do they think three, to, you know, three times a charm in Atlanta? Like, oh, my God. I would love the league to go back there, but... Um, I don't know. That would just seem bizarre to me. I can't um, Houston, imagine. Maybe. I can't imagine expansion though. Right now, thirty-two seems like the right number. I think there might just be some behind-the-scenes preparation for you know, Arizona's deal is not done yet. Their bond vote is coming up in mid-May to determine whether or not they build a new arena. And if they don't approve it, it's they have to do something. They and have to go somewhere. Look, and this, this look. I don't want to call the league liars. But when the league tells you that they are making as much revenue as they did in Glendale, it just defies logic. They have no parking, no they have they give away half their tickets to the university to Arizona State for twenty five bucks a ticket. They their average I mean they I mean and and right now there is not a great relationship between the coyotes and the arena. Like they're not allowed to practice there, they can't even have press conferences there. It is it is really just bizarre um, what is going on, and and you're starting to hear rumblings. I mean, you're just seeing at the trade deadline right now, right? They're 30, 40 percent of their cap is dead money. Um, and I'm actually working on an Arizona story right now, where I, I, I chatted with uh, Bill Armstrong the other day when I was down there. Um, and um, so I think to his point, maybe relocation. But look, I I wouldn't totally discount expansion. Thirty two is the right number. But when you know you're starting to sell, you're starting to have a six hundred million dollar expansion fees, and then the owners start thinking, "Oh, I think we could fit two more. Yeah, I think we go eight hundred and a bill. You know, I mean, yeah. what's going to stop them from going to a bill? You know, so money talks. Somebody says, "Hey, we're going to pay, uh, have thirty two owners split a billion bucks. There'll be a team in Atlanta tomorrow. You know, so uh, you know that's just the way it works. Um, so good question." Um, the second one comes from a friend of mine, uh, Iverson, who was wondering 
if one were to get a Russo Minnesota Wild jersey, what number would he want on it? And if he wore it during a podcast, would it then be considered game worn? Um, 33 was my favorite number as a kid and 12. So those, those would probably be my jerseys. When I was baseball player, it was 12. So, um, good question, Iverson. Let's talk about Chuck Fletcher. Um, man, I... It was a great question by Iverson, but we're going to move on to Chuck Fletcher. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you brought it up. I mean, you know, I, the one thing I'll say, like, um, is, like, he's made some perplexing moves down there with some of his signings. James Van Riemsdyk. The Ristolainen. Ristolainen. Was made the least sense to me. Yeah. Um, there's been Kevin Hayes. But I just thought it was interesting. I, I normally, I don't spend a ton of time reading articles about other teams, GMs, and their moves, unless it's the week we're going to play this team. But this one, for whatever reason, it popped up on my feed, and I read it, and it was it was pointed in its criticism yeah. of Chuck, to say the least. Yeah. The, the one and thing was like really the, questioning yeah. is he the right guy to oversee a rebuild when they finally officially called it a rebuild, and then and, and yeah. then couldn't couldn't move some of the guys that would have probably brought some assets and then, in. And then Tortorella sticking up for him, I don't think helps. He's like, he tried like heck to move James Van Reevesdyke. And all that to me does is say that we have a horrendous rental here that nobody wants. Right. And he tried like heck that, by the way, Chuck brought in. So that I don't think that helped. Um, I felt bad for him getting booed at the town hall. I don't know what organization would ever have a town hall the day after the trade deadline. That seems absolutely stupid. Um but especially one under the gun like them. So that that seems insane. Um, but I, I just... Um, when you know I don't like to, to evaluate like what, it, what they should have been able to trade because we never know exactly what was offered for people. And, and I don't know. Maybe if earlier, prior to the deadline, there could have been a deal that could have been made. I don't... But you start to look at some of the other guys that... There's some that make you scratch your head, like who in the world would give that for this guy? And then some others where you'd say, that's all they got for this guy. I mean, it's just sometimes people have different perceptions of what a guy might be worth. And we don't know what Chuck was offered or what he could have been offered and if he handled it differently. It's all speculative. And I just thought it was interesting how aggressively he was criticized in the article. Yeah, um, he's been bad. Same thing in Pittsburgh. Ron Hextall, same thing in Vancouver. Patrick Alvin. Um, Hex, Hextall is an interesting one because, you know, I, I think that, you know, sometimes I think that GMs, um, really hurt themselves when they don't try to even have relationships with reporters and things like that. And, and, uh, that was his way in, in Philly. I don't know. It sounds like it's almost the same way in Pittsburgh. And I think that it makes it a lot easier when reporters have nothing to lose if you don't have relationships, um, with them. And th that's the one thing that here in Minnesota where, you know, one, Billy is very accessible, but two, Billy is very good at talking to the media preemptively about the plan. So then when things happen, we could at least explain things. And when you don't do that with other, with other teams, like you can't tell me that Ron Hextall doesn't have a plan the way the reporters are writing it, but, but maybe he hasn't put that to words and explained it. And I think sometimes it hurts you. And I think that's what's going on well, there. And right sometimes now. plans change. Yeah. You could have a plan, but then all of a sudden, I don't think it was Billy's plan on trade deadline day to move Jordan Greenway. I know they had been talking to people for a while, but when all of a sudden the right offer's there, you got to move and you got to move quickly because who knows if they wait till the off season, maybe the two and the five isn't there for Greenway. And, mm -hmm. and now you were able to make the trade, a trade that we kind of felt was likely to be needed in the off season because of the, the remaining term on the contract. And you just have to be able to adapt yep. quickly. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, you know, I know that I was aggressively reporting for the last two, three months, which definitely hurt my relationship with Greener, that he was in trouble here. Um, but when I was talking to every, like, when I was talking to scouts and GMs, and it was just so clear that they were actively shopping him. And then when he obviously had the incident in January, he just knew that was it, um, that, that they were going to have to move him. Plus, you just do the math. They have to, they had to create cap space this summer uh, somehow, some way. Hype man, what's up? Everybody know this guy? Everybody recognize him? Third period, five, three, three, four minutes left. Yeah, they got to be at the game in order to really know who I am. I'm sure so. they, they, they're, you know. Bally's doesn't give me any airtime. So, yeah. 
Those great seats you have, uh, they're complimentary from the, from the well, team, I assume. It's always from, during uh, a commercial for, break when you're Pumping screaming. up the, uh, the, the crowd the way they do, right? No, I get no complimentary seats. Okay. But, uh, I, but they pay you, I'm sure, on the side. No. Uh, beer uh, vouchers? Beer vouchers? I, oh, that'd be awesome. But yeah, no. no. Um, I don't know. It just seems like you're doing a lot to hype up the crowd. You should get something. All right. Well, thank you for that, uh, Russo. Um, I already asked this question of, of Billy today, and I'd like to uh, hear your response. Um, given what we saw in the West at the trade deadline, lots of sellers, lots of, you know, we're looking at a lot of rebuilds or retools out West. Um, given the current cap situation and the core players signed, how do you feel will fare over the next two seasons? Do you think we're going to be contending for playoff spots, given what we've seen out of Vancouver, Anaheim's in it, San Jose, who knows what's going there? Arizona's Arizona. You have Nashville with a new GM coming in. You got St. Louis selling off their stuff. Chicago, Chicago. Um, how do you think we're going to fare through this? I'm still positive, but curious your take. Every team you just listed, the Wild will be better than all of those teams for the next two years. Yeah, as long which as by, which by definition means you're a playoff contender because yeah. that's and, half the West. And then hoping the cap also continues yeah. to go up. So more or less, if yeah. the cap can continue to raise, yeah. we'll stay at. What yeah. our hit is now, yeah. technically, but I think Wild fans should be excited. What's going to happen in two years when all of a sudden you have Kuznodinov and Ogren and Urov and Lambos and Hunt and these guys starting to step Wallstead in. Wallstead and Ross. Yeah, and even Spachek and and all these guys. Um, but to to your point, for the next few years, first of all, they had twelve point seven in dead money this year, and they figured out a way to come in with wiggle room to the point, and largely because they were healthy, to the point that they were able to add. So the, even with the 14-7, um, if they continue to, to run their cap that way and they are, you know, knock on wood healthy, they're going to be in positions to add actively in the next few deadlines as well. So that's uplifting. But this team, is, as long as Kaprizov and Spurgeon and Brodeen are healthy, they are always going to be a good team. And then when you have Boldy playing better and, you know, and some of these other guys are going to be coming in, I, I just think that. The key is they have to have a couple guys that are on their entry-level deals perform. Yeah. And you would think that two years from now, the two most viable candidates to be those two guys, in my opinion, are Wallstead and Rossi. Yeah. Those guys have to be a part of this because you have to have some guys that are, that are making less than what their market value might be in order to, to survive that. Yep. I got two questions. One, a uh, kind of trade deadline, one general. You mentioned Goligoski. Why did they not move him? Because it would generally help with the cap next year, and he's yeah, been sitting Yeah, but you could just still year. move him this summer if, if he wants, or, 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 you know, I mean, heck, maybe. I don't think he would, but maybe even retire. And then he's, there, he's off the cap. So, um, you know, I, I do think that they had one option. My guess is it wasn't the most appealing option, and that he just decided to stay. But they could still move him this summer, and, and I think that he'll, he'll try. But they, they need him. And right now is a perfect example. Jonas Brodeen's out of the lineup. You need him. And your extra defenseman right now is Kalen Addison. And if you're missing a penalty kill guy, I mean, that's why Addison's out instead of Goligoski to put Klingberg in. Klingberg's a power play guy. Addison's a power play guy. Goligoski's a killer. So now when Brodeen comes back, that's why I was saying earlier that maybe Addison's quicker to be back in the lineup than Goligoski at that point. Yeah, everything will but depend on But you need on him right now because he's one of your four better defending defensemen. And they, they just, I don't think they were willing to just say, we'll just give you Goligoski for nothing because we, we might need him. Um, another question? Yeah, I got one more. You mentioned the GMs. Is... Billy Guerin, one of the more open GMs you've ever worked with. He seems to be on the podcast a lot, straight from the source, K-Fan, everything like that. Definitely it just accessible. Like open. Yeah. I was just talking to a GM on the way here about just reporter-GM relationships because everyone has different. Um, some are contentious. I've had that. Uh, some are, are more open and are willing to have relationships. Um, you know, some GMs you can get on the phone right away. Other GMs, if you text them, all of a sudden you get a slap on the wrist from the PR guy. Don't text them anymore. Um, you know, that's just the way it works. Uh, but Bill is definitely up there. Obviously, he doesn't tell you everything. Um, you know, most of the names that they acquired at the trade deadline, we were talking about role and what they needed and things like that. That was pretty obvious. But uh, but in terms of the names, you know, we were pretty much over, right? I never, I mean, I even think I even said either on a podcast. I, I was either having, it was either on a podcast with you, Anthony, or um, Joe Smith and I were going over names in the deadline leading up. 
And I got Johansson on the Puckpedia page uh, for free agents, and I'm like, and I just immediately made him like, uh, been there, done that, and passed him over. So never thought him. Uh, Klingberg, I just didn't even recognize as somebody the Wild would pay because we just always thought that he'd be a second round pick or something like that. Um, you know, Nyquist. Something happened that morning that they acquired Ny- Nyquist with the memo that made me think that the Wild were in on it because um, because that LTI memo. Um, some people that I know that are sources of mine were so well-versed on the, everything that I just started. If you remember that day, Nyquist, I did break because that one I was all day had a feeling the wild were circling on him. And finally, I just finally felt comfortable enough. I felt it coming and finally felt comfortable enough to do the old here in the wild or heavily pursuing, even though I knew the trade was done. And then, um, and as, as some people that follow me a lot on Twitter, tell other people, sometimes you got to know how to read between the lines with me. And Sunquist, obviously, I never saw um, coming. So, but but he's extremely explaining the needs and things like that. I think he was he's pretty open that way. But he's not going to ever list his name, right? So, um, I think it's but, always interesting when you talk to other because for me, the only general managers and you know you've probably, you've worked with more than I have, but are the guys with the Wild because I very rarely have anything to do with the GMs of the visiting teams or the opposing teams. But it's interesting to talk to other broadcasters about their relationships with their GM. So there have been a few over the years that have told me that the, this guy was great. He'd make sure we were aware of exactly how, why this was working, what he was looking at and explaining it. And then some others. In fact, we just had a few in recent visits to St. Paul, a few other broadcasters who came in on that seven-game homestand saying, our GM won't tell us anything. Yeah. So we have no idea what's going on. We have no whether it be injury status of their own guys or guys that they might be looking to sign or deal or anything else, and, and they just would shrug their shoulders and say, we get nothing. And that's tough. Yeah, and, uh, like, uh, my fa- I will, I'll be honest. I mean, my favorite part of this job is that type of stuff. Like, I love chatting with GMs. Um, I have great relationships with most in the league. You see it on the athletic hockey show that I'm on weekly. I mean, you know, you can tell right away who I have relationships on, who come on. You know, the Jim Dills, Tom Fitzgeralds, Don Waddells, and, Doug Armstrong's uh, people like that. Um, they're just, you know, I'm going to the GMs meetings this week. I've been looking forward to that for two months. It's just, um, it's, it, it's, you know, that's part of the business is sort of creating those relationships with those, those certain GMs. So I think it's very important for most beat writers. And I, I think that a lot of young reporters today's day and age, did Nino just score his first goal with the Jets? I think he did. Um, you know, uh, I think a lot of young reporters, they just come to games, they sit down, they don't go chat with scouts, they don't try to develop relationships. It's almost like you're growing up in the social media world, you just wait for a trade to happen and then you just write it instead of trying to be like a little old school. And and that, that to me is part of the game. It's also part of learning the sport. You know, I always say every coach, every GM, every player I ever covered, it, I learned more about the sport every single time. Even just talking to John Klingberg today about defense and the way that he talks, it's just diff- you know it's different terminology. Just being around the Carolina Hurricanes the last four days and seeing how different guys operate. Being in that room, we're in Arizona the other night. They kicked the crap out of the Coyotes six to one, and I really had an incredible inside look at this team. Like I was basically in the locker room when they all came off um, the ice, and I was basically watching this. And you know, you, you think that after a big win, big win, it's Carolina, it's Arizona, but a w- win that you're going to see all this hooting and hollering and loud music, frankly, like we see in the wild room, you know, just a party. You would have thought they lost. It was not, they walked off the ice. There was nobody laughing, smiling, talking to each other. They just sat down in their stall. They put on music a little low. They, you know, it was interesting. Rod Brindamore and his coaching staff sat in a little enclave and kind of like chatted for a little while. He walks in there. He congratulates Shane Gossier on his first goal. Everybody claps. And then they got up and started taking off their gear. It was so businesslike. And it was just, it was, it was, I finally said to Brady Shea, I'm like, is this how it is after every win? He goes, we want to win a cup. It's just, it's just crazy how different teams work, right? Um, I went over to Brent Burns. I'm like, you know, you were the fourth oldest player to ever have four assists in a game. And he looks at me, he goes, I should have had five. You know, <laughs> it's just like stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It was, it was definitely a fun experience and kind of a little breath of fresh air to kind of get and see how another team operates. 
Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. And if you want to get your dream home, sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There are no showings, no decluttering, no repairs, and no stress. It's the easy way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home fast. You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. To find out what your guaranteed offer cash would be, there's no obligation. Just go to chrislindahl.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Again, that's chrislindahl.com or uh, call 763-401-SOLD. You can close with confidence and start packing, and terms and conditions apply. Change of seasons means that it's time to change your apparel. I just got a text from Scott Dayton down at Twill at the Galleria in Edina with their new spring line of ties. I can't wait to go in there and check them out when I get back from this next road trip. But it's more than just a suit store. It's also golf season. I know there's a blizzard on the way, but I've got the golf itch. I can't wait to get out on the course. Maybe you've got a spring trip coming up. Check out their selection on men's sportswear as well. It's the Twill at the Galleria in Edina. You won't be disappointed. Question. Uh, so a comment here. Did you see the uh, brief interview that uh, Sportsnet had with Billy? They had a cartoon about the story that Billy borrowed uh, Tom Fitzgerald's car when he was still playing. I didn't see it, no. No, they put, they put in a small clip. Um, what's that? They put a small cartoonish. Okay. So this is this on the podcast that he did with American Elliot yep. or something? American no. Elliot. Okay. I'll chat. I'll chat. I'll listen to that. Okay. Um, so I saw your article, and you were in Carolina and Arizona. So um, I mean, does it give you a different perspective on how franchise operate? Does it changes your you know your perception? Like for Carolina, the owner Tom Dunlin, people think it. I don't like to say being cheap here because there was one season where he basically let Don Waddell work without a contract that he was open to interview. I think the Wild did interview with Don Waddell. Yeah. And then there's the. Uh, you know, the Coyotes with the, you know, the franchise that's in turmoil where, you know, Katie Strain just basically did some of the behind the scene. So did you feel that these two? It's definitely dead in my ear. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean in, for, in terms of Tom Dundon, I mean, obviously he runs that team a very different way, but, I mean, they're a cap team. Gives Don Waddell all the ability. They have definitely a different philosophy. They don't want to pay high prices for rentals. But that's high prices in terms of assets, not money. I mean, they just went out and brought in Brent Burns, that type of money. They're always a cap team. Obviously, Arizona has major, major challenges down there and things like that. But, you're, yeah, I mean, to what I just said before, it definitely being around a different team. And not, not that one way is different or the other. I mean, the Wild are an incredibly uh, well-run franchise with an incredible owner that always wants to win. Um, you know, I, was, I, I told the story today either on a podcast or maybe the live room, but I was just down in Florida for the All-Star game, and I have a lot of contacts down there between uh, NHL security and uh, trainers and things like that. And I can't tell you how many people came up to me and told me you would not believe how many teams have their father-son trips down here in Florida and Tampa and how uh, the Wild were the most well-run and classiest of them all and the way that everything's handled. I mean, they're a first-class operation. But, yeah, when you go see another team, things are just done a little different. You know, it's, it's just that's the way it is. Um, you know, um, I had some... One of, two of my favorite experiences covering the Carolina Hurricanes uh, the last were the two off nights where I went out with different members of their staff for dinners, both Vegas and Arizona, and just just hearing the stories of a different organization. You know, it's it's the same but different, right? And it's just uh, and and it was just I don't know. It was just it was a cool experience, um, and uh, I'm glad I did it. Yeah, I don't know if Wild fans were happy I did it because I was tweeting from Hurricane games, but whatever. Uh, one last question, and I know this is going to be kind of like it being an old drum. So, I think one of the uh, one of the uh, trade deadlines here that some of the uh, local Canadian beats was that you know the Wild still haven't figured out the center problem, and we still have Rossi still in the AHL, and Dylan Larkin just recently signed for you know 80 years around about closer to nine. So, 
what's going to be the solution at the center? Well, I mean, they're hoping that guys like Rossi, who's Nadinov, all these, you know, Ogren's, is he a winger or is he a winger, uh, center? Winger? Yeah, probably um, a winger. But, you know, who's Nadinov? Um, you know, I, 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 what's ironic about the Wild, and it's been this way for years, is that we always talk about their center depth, that, yet they actually have probably more centers than anybody in the league. They just play them on the wing. Um, you know, they don't have the elite center depth, uh, depth um, beyond Erickson Eck. Um, but Hartman, you know, that's what, that was one of the big reasons that I was beating the drum on the podcast for so long to put Hartman back at center there is that, like, you know, I just I got that he wasn't having a good year. But he also wasn't having a good year after the first month of the season at wing. And to me, it's like, all right, we know that this guy meshed well at center with Kaprizov and Zuccarello last year. Let's change the Sam Steele experiment now. And, um, you know, I think, I think it so far has worked. And I was impressed, by the way, by Steele coming back. Steele was good. Yeah. Boy, and I, I have to admit, I had totally forgotten he was still on the team. So, <laughs> and you travel but, on the team I've planes and stay at their and, hotels. And all of a sudden, we find out that morning that Sunquist wasn't going to be able to get to Calgary because of the, the blizzard in Detroit. And so right away, my brain was, Okay, well, they don't have an extra forward with them, so it means they'll probably have to go eleven and seven tonight. And I was just standing in the hallway, and I was thinking about like, all right, because Duhame had gotten hurt the night before in Vancouver, and I was like, yeah, boy, this is just terrible timing. Duhame's hurt; this guy can't get here. And all of a sudden, Steele walked by out of the locker room toward the ice for morning skate, and I looked, and I was like, totally forgot he was even still on our team. He's, yeah, yeah. I, I guess we don't have to go eleven and seven. We've got twelve forwards here. Yeah. But I actually thought he played well that night. Yeah, yeah. I thought he played really well. Uh, Sunquist said that, so he lives like 30 minutes or 40 minutes from the airport in Detroit. He said it took him two hours to get there. And then it was like, it was like that, uh, that, that storm that we had here a couple weeks ago. And I was going, where was I going? Um, I wasn't here. Yeah. I forget, forget where I was going uh, to meet, meet up with the team. Oh, Columbus. And uh, my flight kept on getting pushed back, pushed back, and pushed back. And I'm like, there's no way I'm making it to Columbus. Then suddenly we left. So, question. By the way, I have a great Twitter question. The best one. And I'm lucky I on saw On your it. notes? Yep, on my notes. All right. Uh, based on, uh, you know, last year, Wild had, you know, some pretty disappointing, or it, it was a pretty disappointing first round of the playoffs. This year, obviously, I know there's 20 games left still. Do you guys believe that the Wild, you know, as long as they don't, you know, knock on wood here, as long as they don't, you know, they're not like the Blues and Predators in Calgary right now. Um, do you guys believe that they can go farther in the playoffs this year? Hope so. I mean, they're uh, man, they're staring down the Colorado Avalanche right, right now, which is a little that, obviously scary. That's the tough part. I, I think they're playing a game that's more playoff suited right now. They're playing a style that's more playoff suited. But the reality is, the first round opponent looks a long way away. A lot of things could change, but it looks like a near certainty it's going to be Colorado. And if they play, if they face off against Colorado, and Colorado's healthy, Colorado's the favorite. Yeah. They're the best team in the West if, when healthy. And I know Dallas just pounded them the other day, but if they're healthy, they're the one team in the West, I believe, that can play the game at a level that all the other teams are about the same. I, in, I think LA, Vegas, Minnesota, Dallas, Winnipeg, they all, they're all capable of winning a series or two. I, but I don't think any one of them is one you'd look at and say they're the favorite. I think Colorado's probably still that one team. And But, yeah, I think the style the Wilds are playing is better suited for playoff hockey. I think the biggest out. difference this year is that last year, it's like it almost felt like they were just praying to God that magically their special teams got better. And this year their special teams is great. Um, you know, right now I think 11th in the power play. Which their combined special teams are eighth, and last year yeah. they were twenty second. Yeah, I mean so that's a big difference. Yeah, and and we saw. I mean, last year they lost that playoff round because of their special teams. Yeah, uh, their, I also their, think their they PK. lost it because they got away from their defensive game. And yeah. th what I think is amazing about this run the Wild are on right now in and it's eight zero and one in their last nine, but it's it's thirteen games. They are the lowest scoring team in the NHL over a thirteen game stretch, and yet they're ten one and two. That's amazing to me that it, it's almost unheard of. It's, you, you almost can't do that. And you look at these games, the, 
the game in Vancouver, the game at home against the Islanders, were both nights it looked to me like the Wild just didn't have anything. They had no energy, they weren't clicking, and yet they never wavered from their game and just methodically won two-to-one games. And last year, those would have been the games where, okay, they don't have it, and all of a sudden they'd start to loosen up. Now all of a sudden they're down 3-1. Well, then they might be able to turn it on and win 4-3, to but you can't do that in the playoffs. And the way they're playing right now might be more sustainable. Um, yeah, I, hockey sometimes is just so weird. It's like you said, the Calgary Flames and their shot differential, and yet they can't win, and the Wild can't right. score, and yet they they're they're as nine games in a row of points. Um, couple Twitter things. Uh, John from uh, asked if I'm going to be trampled by turtles at Bayfront. I I won't be because we're going to be in Sicily. By the way, have you seen that Casanova wine guy is like doing a tour of the U.S. right now? Remember that place that we no, went to in Tuscany? I do remember. Yeah, he was in Arizona, and now he's in Jupiter, Florida. He's doing like a whole big dinner wow. thing. Anyway, um, uh, question from Vinny. Uh, Why does Anthony contend that he's six feet tall? Oh, boy. All right, number one, I'm not. And I never have contended that I was, although I did get a physical one time where they measured me and just said six feet. So my boys have been giving me grief about that forever. Both my boys are taller than me. They're, I don't know how tall they are, 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, I'm 5'11". That's, that's adequate. Yeah. I have, I, have a, I have appropriate height levels. I'm, it's, uh, I'm satisfied with it. There's not much I can do to, to increase it. So, yeah. But it's good to know Vinny's paying attention. Vinny's my second son. And actually, I'm going to see Vinny. That's Vinny also I, wants to know why they keep on throwing flour out there. Well, he's been, I mean, he's been pretty good his three last couple of games. Yeah, his last won, three games. He's you know won that, three in a row. Can but... I ask you, one thing I'll make a comment on that, like, I am tired of every time tweeting at Flowers starting people going nuts. Like, what, are they never going to start him again? This is a league where every team in the league, except for, like, three, use two goalies. Right. And you're not going to just play Gustus in the rest of the year. And it's just so aggravating. I just well, don't get it. Not only that, but let, let's keep in mind that there might be something to Gus being better because he's not playing every night. Right. Could have something to do with it, like the like having like, a little rest. Like, There's some back to backs here. Yeah, and 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 you're a bright fan base. Mark Andre Fleury's last three games are two against Columbus, one against Vancouver, and Gus is getting all the big games right now. Right. Why and do early, you think that is? Well, but earlier because in the year they was, are sheltering the <laughs> Fleury. A little bit. I think they were at the start. I think the first one where they it was the back to back Columbus Toronto. I think it was a conscious choice to say Gus has played five out of six. It's back to backs. Let's give Flurry the first one. Teams fresher, opponents a lesser opponent, and then we'll give Gus the tougher one on the second. Earlier in the year, I thought they were doing exactly the opposite. Flurry was getting the tougher starts. Mm-hmm. Now every time you'd look at the schedule, and it, you knew it was going to be Gus was going to get one somewhere. He'd get the one soft one on the during the week. Gus has earned it. He's been terrific. He's and. But Flurry's been good here too these last few games, and the game in Columbus, Flurry had to be good and got a shutout. The game in Vancouver, he had to be good. You have to be good every night when your team's scoring two. You have to be good. Yeah. And Flurry's been good enough to be in there, and I, you know, I, I do think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's assume everything stays as is right now, and you get to the playoffs. Last year, I still, and I said it before the series started, I felt like Cam Talbot had played better down the stretch and, and would have been the guy I would have tabbed for game one. But remember, it was Dean that empowered Alex Stalock during his first season as the head coach. And Stalock was better than Dubnik down the stretch. He played Stalock and then had the COVID break. And when we went to the bubble playoff series, he said, Stalock's my guy. And Stalock had been the backup going into the year, but he outplayed the starter I think we'll be, it'll be interesting to see if this year he does the same thing. If Gus continues to play better or, or play as well as he's been playing, it's hard to imagine that you wouldn't do that. But let's wait and see what happens yeah. in the next 20 games. I'll be honest. I didn't hear a thing you just said. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm watching this rodeo back there, and this cowboy just beat the crap out of this cow. Tiny objects. I mean, just, tiny objects. Just beat the crap. Just, you I know, mean, absolutely. You know, almost for, broke I just that had this neck. I just had this flashback to the dinner story I know I've shared before, where we're sitting at the steak place in Toronto, and and I'm chatting. I mean, with look the table. at what he's doing. I understand. This thing. Just look, pay, at, look at pay this. Pay attention for for the rest of this sentence. Yeah, but just look it, at the 
cow's neck. I, you know this is a radio podcast, right? People can't see this. There's no video. I'm just saying right? to you, look at what's going on over there. So we're sitting at this great steak place in Toronto having dinner, and it's Mike Russo, Mike Greenlay, and me. All right, let's continue. And these let's... two guys, the entire dinner, are just staring at their phones. scrolling. And I, so I'm having a conversation with the table next to me. I've made friends with this. It was two couples. I'm just bullshitting with them. And, and all of a sudden, I turn, and they said, do your friends even know you're here? I said, that nah, doesn't matter. I'm sure they got really important stuff on Twitter. And I said something that like caught Michael's attention. And because I said, yeah, we're just commenting on that. I've been talking to them for about a half hour since the last time you said a word. And he says, yeah, but look at this. And it was a guy like that punched a kangaroo in the nose or hey, something. Beat the some crap video. Out of kangaroo. And he, so he shows me, yeah, but look at this. And I was like, but who cares? I mean, what, we're in, you don't we're, think, you don't think that it's an interesting video to watch a guy punch a kangaroo in the nose? Not. No, not even a little bit. I There's humans around you at the table. Just interact with the people. I'm just saying that kangaroo was stunned. If you were sitting in your that hotel room. kangaroo did not expect to get punched I believe that. But that there, if you're sitting in your hotel room by yourself, then stare at your phone and watch the kangaroo fight with the guy. But when you're at a table with other humans, just interact. Like right now, you're at a podcast with another guy. We're talking. We're chatting. I'm just And you're saying. watching a guy wrestle with a little calf. Yeah, I know. Pretty fascinating. Question? This will be the last question of the show, I think, <laughs> Brandon. I've had my fill of Anthony tonight. <laughs> right. I, we're on to cattle. All right. This may be a little bit of a silly question, but how long until Connor Bedard is a meaningful NHL player? Is that something that happens next year, or what's that path look like? become easier and easier for these guys to step in right away and perform. I mean, we've seen a lot of them over the years. Um, so I think so. I think you'll see, yeah, he'll go right into the NHL. He's not going anywhere else. The problem is he's going to step into a team that's going to be pretty terrible because all these teams that are trying to get Connor Bedard, like you look at some of the lineups, you were just in Arizona. I looked at their line chart one night, uh, Chicago's lineup the other night. It doesn't even look like an NHL team. And those are the types of teams into which he's going to get injected. So it, he might be a, a good player right away, but he, we're not going to see him dominating games because of who he's playing with, at least in my opinion. Not yeah. But he'll be in the NHL next year. And the, he is, boy, I can't remember the last time, maybe Austin Matthews year might have been the last time there was a guy that was as can't miss as Bedard. Yeah, I Yeah, I would say Austin. And he what four bulls in his first game? Yep. Yep. He was ready. All right, thanks guys. Yeah, thanks. Uh thanks to everybody coming out here to Tuttles. Our next live podcast is uh March 16th at uh Split Rocks. We'll also be back at Split Rocks on March 24th. Um so 16th at Split Rocks, 24th at Split Rocks. Uh mark your calendars now for another fun show and hopefully they'll have the rodeo on for when Anthony is talking. I have something to do. Um, thanks for coming to the Aquarius Home Services Studio, which is on remote location here at Tuttles. Thanks to our incredible sponsors, Tool at the Adina Galleria, which is right across from Pittsburgh Blue. Aquarius Home Services, your installers of Medico Water Treatment Systems, Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, Christendal Real Estate, Royal Credit Union, Moe's Tavern, and Bosch Law Firm. Thanks, everybody, for coming on out. So much coming out, there's nothing going in I know that you feel like you're never gonna win All but the 